Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help family members and friends. It's Monday, May 15th. It's 10 a.m. Central Time, and we're live out of Chicago. On Monday mornings, we gather for company and conversations around caregiving. So I hope this is a good way for you to start your day and start your week. Today, we're going to talk about caregiving challenges. That's going to be our topic of conversation with our experts. We're going to start that conversation in just a few moments. I want to give you a couple quick updates. So we picked our winner of our caregiving voice contest. Yay! And here's what we're going to do. So we have a winner, and he's going to sing our closing song at our National Caregiving Conference on November 11th. But the other two videos were so awesome that those two ladies are going to sing too. So in essence, we have three winners. So keep in mind when you come to the National Caregiving Conference, we're going to close it out with some great performances. So excited that the two runner-ups were gracious enough to say, yes, I want to sing too. So we are going to bombard you with talent and gifts. (laughs) And that's not the end of it. So the next contest that's coming up is our contest to pick one of our keynote presenters. If you are in a caregiving situation, if you've previously had a caregiving situation, you have a compelling story, an important message to share, you could be our keynote presenter. Look for details on this next contest next week. The contest is going to be very similar to our caregiving voice contest. If you want to enter for a chance to be our keynote, you'll want to create a video sharing basically what it is that you want to talk about. Basically, it's your pitch to be our keynote presenter. You'll create a short video. You'll upload it on YouTube. You'll complete a submission form link to your YouTube video. We'll share those videos, and then we'll vote for our favorite. Stay tuned. Next week, I'll have some more details about that. So as I've been talking about the conference, I just love to reiterate that this conference is not only a time for you to connect and share and gather resources, it's also an opportunity for you to see your possibilities. So in caregiving, you can feel like life is on hold, you've had to say no, opportunities have passed you by. Our conference is a way for you to see opportunities are there. So we do our best to create those opportunities before, during, and after our conference. So we've been talking about them since January. So you want to keep up to date about what's happening. Just go to caregiving.com, listen to our podcasts, and you'll know all that there is to know about what's happening with our conference. I want to give you a quick reminder, too, that there is a free Kindle book available for download beginning today through Friday. The author of the book joined me last week on our podcast, Penny Rose Haddon. She wrote this terrific book called An Insurance Policy for the Big One, My Mom, Her Mind, and Me. And she's very graciously agreed to 
give her Kindle version of the book available for free beginning today. So I'll post about it on caregiving.com. I just put a link on our Facebook fan page so you can click the link and go to the book and get a free download. If you're not a fan on our fan page, we are Caregiving Support on Facebook. You can like like us and then you'll also be up to date on what's going on. Again, the book is called An Insurance Policy for the Big One, My Mom, Her Mind, and Me. And the author, Penny Rose Haddon, is really clever on how she tries to make sense of her mom's descent into dementia. And so she brings in references to pop culture, songs, sometimes I think a few Bible passages. It's really clever. So her book is really a compilation of blog posts. So it reads like a journal. It's dated. It's a quick read. But yet it's a powerful read. And what's great about her book is that she has an epilogue. So at the end, you don't wonder, she tells you what happens. So an insurance policy for the big one, it's available free. You can download the Kindle version beginning today, ending on Friday, May 15th. And again, I'll post about it on caregiving.com. And if you're on our fan page, just go to Caregiving Support on Facebook, click the link for the book, and you can get it. It's always nice when you can get something free, right? So why not take advantage of it. We have been going gangbusters on caregiving.com with our bloggers. As I mentioned in May, we've got a contest going on. If you post four blogs, let me rephrase that. If you publish four blog posts during the month of May, you're entered into a chance to win 100 bucks. So we've got some great bloggers who are out there really with some really compelling, interesting, and funny blog posts. So if you haven't had a chance, stop by caregiving.com. You'll see all the latest blog posts. Lots of fun. We have a webinar tomorrow. One of our certified caregiving consultants is going to have a webinar called Essential Oils 101. It's a webinar from Lisa. She did a webinar last month that was great on natural remedies that you can use not only with your carry but also for yourself. And so now she's going to dig into essential oils. So when you go to caregiving.com, if you look on the right, coming events, you'll see a link to the webinar. So it says May 16th, Essential Oils 101 webinar. It's at noon central time. So it's free. It's recorded. If you miss it free, the webinar will be up later in the afternoon tomorrow. You can enjoy it. And Lisa has really been wonderful about sharing all that she's learned, not only as she's cared for her son, but previously in her career. She was involved in health and nutrition. So she's kind of combining it and letting us know what can we do to be healthy, to help our carry stay as healthy as possible, and use natural solutions to do that. So Essential Oils 101 is tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Central Time. Again, to jump into the webinar, just go to caregiving.com, look on your right under Upcoming Events, and you'll see a link to the webinar. I also want to let you know that we've got some new sessions starting for our Certified Caregiving Consultant Training Program. 
So our next virtual session starts June 5th. It's an eight-week course. We've got a bonus ninth week that gives you ideas on how to market yourself as a consultant. And if you'd like to join us virtually, you can sign up. If you'd like to join us in person, we do have an in-person training that's in Chicago June 16th. There's just a slight difference. If you take the virtual course, it'll take you eight weeks to get certi- to go through the course, and then it'll take you a couple weeks to get certified. There's some things that you need to do. If you join in person, you do all the work up front. You listen to the classes before you join us on June 16th. You jump into some chats. That's a requirement of certification. And then on June 16th, we go through all the material. You do a couple things that are part of the certification process. You take your exam, and then when you leave on June 16th, you're certified. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, and if you want to kind of fast track it a little bit, you could come to the in-person training. And all the details on that are on caregiving.com. And again, it's on the right under upcoming events. You can click to find out more information about our virtual course, as well as joining us in person in Chicago on June 16th. Our curriculum is approved for certified for continuing ed credits. So if you're a nurse, social worker, therapist, occupational therapist, physical therapist, you can take our course and earn eight CEUs. So that's an added bonus. Okay, I think that's it. I think those are the updates for you. So today, I thought it would be interesting to talk about what are the challenges that face today's family caregivers. So that's the question that's posed to our experts who are joining us this morning. So Colleen Cavanaugh is the owner of TheLongestDance.com. She cared for both of her parents for a decade. She's now one of our certified caregiving consultants. And she helps family caregivers streamline their lives and cultivate a sense of mission that supports them through the less than perfect days. So good morning, Colleen. Good morning, Denise. Carolyn Grant is also joining us. She's also one of our certified caregiving consultants. She cared for her parents for 10 years while also raising a family. She teaches her clients to recognize their own unique strengths as a caregiver how to listen actively, and to proactively communicate with everyone from doctors to extended family members. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning, Denise. Today we're going to talk about what we think is really the greatest challenge facing family caregivers these days. And let's start maybe from your perspective during your experience. So when you look back, Colleen, what was the challenge that you faced that now you think, wow, that was a tough one. That probably was my greatest one. For me, it was the unknown, all the what ifs, all the uncertainties Mm. and the open endedness of going into an experience that I was not prepared for in any way, never really had on my so-called bucket list to ever want to do. And just having, you know, there's no end date to it in the constant learning. Was there, yeah. Was there a what if that just trailed you 
that kind of followed like a dark, a dark cloud throughout the experience? Uh, I think the fear of the worst case scenario becoming a reality because I am a very proactive person and I try to take care of things ahead of time in order to minimize things that might go wrong. And that really worked against me on a certain level because I would listen to other people's horror stories and think, oh, my gosh, what if this or that happened? Like, what if my brothers suddenly decide that they're going to turn on me and think, wow, we don't, we actually don't like what you're doing for dad and we're going to sue you and all like the, the real bad stuff that you would hear from other family caregivers and living in that and, and thinking, ah, it could have happened. And even though I'm prepared for everything and doing the best I possibly can and doing it with a great amount of love, there's that possibility. Yeah. I, yeah. The unknown, if it happened to someone else, it could happen to me. Is yes. it going to happen to me? What am I going to do if it happens to me? Yeah, and then it feels like it's happened to you, even when it hasn't, because <laughs> it's so yes, hard to and you're stop so, those thoughts. And you're so used to, like, it feels like at times, like, so many bad things are happening. It's like, well, of course nothing good is going to happen in the future, so it's going to be something bad, and it becomes very fatalistic and dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and paralyzing in some regard, because you're just so stressed out by the what if. Yes. So, Carolyn, what do you think? What was the greatest challenge you faced during caregiving? For me, it was finding a balance because I was caring for both of my parents at the same time, and my daughter was young, and yet she was um, early middle school, and she had her own emotional needs that I felt I wasn't able to meet because I wasn't around because I was either with one parent or the other parent, so um, that was the biggest family uh, family balance. Uh, and then the other, it kind of triggered when Colleen said it, the memory when my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. And I think I've referenced it during our podcast in the past, when she was getting ready to be discharged from the hospital after a lung procedure. And I was there. I had my notebook at the ready to take any notes never understanding that I was expected to take on the role of a nurse, meaning, okay, well, before we dismiss you from the hospital, come over here, caregiver, and this is what you need to do. You need to drain the fluid out of your mom, um, you know, for the next two to three weeks, as long as needed, and to have to insert needles. And it. I'm not trained as a nurse, and that was overwhelming to me. It was a fear of what if I make a mistake, what if I do this wrong? And so that was my first time dealing with that. So family balance and then, uh-oh, <laughs> I have to take on medical responsibility too. Wow. Yeah. So I think about stress just generally, and that's kind of the umbrella term for what we've been talking about so far, stress. Mm-hmm. We we really have to take care of ourselves. I mean, I that drives me nuts when people say it to me. And yet the stress is, oh, man, it's constant. It's overwhelming. It's tricky. So I have been tracking family caregiver stress for about a year and a half. So it's a real simple stress scale that I ask visitors of, fam, 
of caregiving.com to to rate. So they pick a number from one to five as to what their stress is right now. I don't worry about what their stress was yesterday, tomorrow. I just say right now, what's your stress? Five being the most stressed. So it has consistently been 4.17 since I started the survey. It has not moved. It may be moved to to 4.16, but it's always been 4.17. So it's between four and five. The other thing is when I was putting this together, I thought about a scale of one to ten, but that's too many choices when you're stressed out, right? Because you're thinking, am I a seven? Is it an eight? So I wanted it to be smaller choices, which is why it's one to five. Three is the middle, you know, four, five are you're really feeling the stress. So I think the stress of the situation, and it's the stress from the different sources. So it's the stress of learning these really technical tasks that you have to do when you haven't had any long-term training. It's the stress of managing the unknowns. It's the stress of managing the family dynamics. It's the stress of balancing it all, career, family. So for my balance, it's the balance between career and my parents. And I have a hard time sometimes figuring out what the right balance is with that. The money is stressful, trying to come up with the money that's needed oftentimes. That's a stressor. And I think the other stressor is, you know, what's the right amount of enough? So how do you know whether or not to pursue certain treatments at end of life? You know, when when does end of life start? We have to figure that out, and sometimes the healthcare system doesn't help us figure that out. They may give us more options, which may lead us to believe, well, we're not at end of life because we're still talking about options, when maybe there's really no, really the options aren't really practical, but yet the healthcare system feels that they have to tell us. It's tough. It's tough. But How did you guys... an excellent question. Sorry. Yeah, so, right. That's what I, you know, we talk about that in the caregiving years with the different stages that the the transitioning stage, which is the fifth stage, is all about making that shift from doing to being. So you're no longer battling, you're no longer battling death, you're simply being there because you know, okay, we're at the end, so I'm going to be here. But it's hard to know when to make that shift, and the healthcare system doesn't help you make that shift. And the other part of it is we've already saved our carries' lives how many times, and so we think, well, I've done it before, should I do it again? It gets really complicated. What was end of life like for you, Colleen, with your parents? I had two very different scenarios. My mom, who was sick and passed away first, had cancer, and it was a much quicker process. And when you speak of being in the hospital where they're offering you all of these 
options, it's hard to realize we, we, we are actually at end of life. Um, ironically, the first oncologist she ever saw was there in the hospital to say, I, from my opinion, she needs hospice. The doctors came in and said, oh, we can do a hip replacement surgery for the deteriorated hip bone. And that was very confusing, and I wasted a lot of time talking to this surgeon about the ins and outs of what this surgery would do or could do. And he was fully confident that this was a viable option. But in my heart, I knew just by looking at her that there was no way she was going to survive that surgery. Three weeks later, she died. So I'm pretty confident about my intuition on that. And I was new at it. And I was young, and I had my father alongside me who was trying to process this was happening to his wife, who consequently was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. So things that maybe normally would have, I would have gotten support from him on certain levels, I wasn't because he was trying to process something that was not making sense for him. Then with my dad, he had years of decline and there was no medical intervention to be done at this point. And I think there was so much time spent sort of wanting him to be released from this illness that was so debilitating and had taken so much away from his life so that if there was to be this miracle surgery for one thing or another, at the end of the day, it wasn't going to do anything to increase his ability to enjoy life and thrive. So the option was very clear of, you know, now we need to slow things down a little bit and let nature take its course. Carolyn, how about for you? In my circumstance with my mom and her lung cancer, we had what I did not know at the time was a very rare gift of a doctor, an oncologist who said, it's time for hospice. There isn't more that we can do. Enjoy your quality of life. And um, hospice was a form of pain management for my mom. So it was such a gift that I did not appreciate at the time because that's what I thought was the norm. With my dad, he had a lung disease that was degenerative and, you know, was sick for years. And the pattern had been in place and set for years in and out of the hospital repeatedly for treatment. And He was in the hospital, and a social worker came in and started talking about hospice, how she used to work in hospice, and it's something for us to continue. I was stunned because every time my dad went in, he got the medication, he went home. (laughs) And so why was it different now? And that was a very interesting experience that actually was a gift. So my dad then really prayerfully considered, am I ready for hospice? Is this the end? And he made the decision that after talking, consulting his doctors, he understood and chose hospice. But his doctors, who were so used to fighting, questioned his decision and tried to convince me that it was too soon. So I asked the doctor, okay, then this has been a repeated pattern for years. How long do you think he would have if he went another round of medication? And he said, well, maybe a month, maybe two. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, uh, we, right, I was stunned. And this was a doctor uh, that I really respected. So I was truly blown away 
by his response. And we we made my dad and I, my mom and I we made the decision, you know, that this he was not going to take the medication anymore, and he had a much happier death as a result. And lesson learned, right? Carolyn, I think, and for any caregiver that's listening today, that the one of the best questions I was told to ask any physician at a moment like this was, "What is the prognosis?" Because that speaks to knowing what, you know, scientifically, medically is going to happen. What really, don't sugarcoat anything. Don't pretend, you know, tell me what you think I want to hear as the family member. What is the prognosis? And I found anytime I asked that question, I got a very direct response that I was able to then inform future decisions from. Yeah, and the question that you asked, Carolyn really got to the heart of it too, which is, okay, if we go your way, how much time is left? And what's fascinating is basically they could have told you about hospice four months earlier (laughs) because your Mm -hmm. body was ready for hospice four months prior to them saying, okay, well, he's got two months, but let's continue with the treatment. It is oh, true, and, and and honestly, that for his situation, he was in and out of the hospital frequently for years. And had we understood the situation, yes, he lived longer, and he had months where he could do things. But he was a pained, emotionally pained man because he was sick so often. It was emotionally debilitating to him that he couldn't do what he wanted to do. And his wife, you know, in the interim had cancer, that he couldn't support her in that way. So from my dad's quality of life and emotional well-being, had we known and understood his prognosis, then he probably would have chosen hospice years before, at least a year before. And so, yes, it is... Hospice is a wonder, palliative care. It's a wonderful, wonderful program that I wish more people understood. And it is one of my goals now, post-caregiving, to find a way to speak with family caregivers, to have them understand it's not giving up. It's, it's a loving option to consider in the right circumstances. I did a podcast, oh, my gosh, probably eight, nine years ago with a hospice physician, And he gave some really great action items to pay attention to. And one of them is if your caree is hospitalized over and over for the same reason, to stop after it happens for a year and ask, what can we do to avoid these hospitalizations? It's a question to ask the caree's physician. Those repeated hospitalizations are a horror on the body. And if you can avoid them, it's a good thing. And one of the ways to avoid them is to consider programs like palliative care and hospice. So if your carry is hospitalized over and over and over within a period of time, like a year, really step back and think, okay, these hospitalizations aren't helping. We're not curing because the same problem is coming up over and over, so what's our next step? And as appropriate, it's a good conversation to have with your caree too. Do you want to continue to go to the hospital? 
Is this, is this the right course for you? Let's think about some other options if there are for us. You know, I think sometimes we do think that the doctor's going to tell us, and the doctors sometimes do and sometimes they don't. And it's typically up to us to start those difficult conversations. You're right, Denise. And in my dad's case, he would have chosen hospice if he understood because the medication, the antibiotics continue to work. It never would, it did not occur to either one of us that it would not be morally wrong to stop taking the medication. And my dad's what my dad struggled with even at the end. Is it morally wrong to not take this antibiotic if it can cure, not cure me, but you know, decrease the amount of infection, you know, to keep going in that cycle. And I think I would have felt it was morally wrong, you know, the year before if someone had, but if someone had educated me, I would have understood. It's not taking a life. Oh, right. So he was, okay. Oh, okay. All right, I get that. He would get infections and and a very, very strong antibiotics would reduce the infection enough that he would be discharged and go home until the next round, which could be three weeks or four months. It just depended, and that's why it was something the doctors hadn't mentioned because he then sort of resumed life and um, until the next, the next bout. Um, so it's a tricky situation in some circumstances, but now with hindsight, absolutely with proper education, our perspective would have been to learn more and go through palliative care. Yes, I think the big question is how do we die naturally? Because sometimes it becomes unnatural within the healthcare system. And the other part of that is how do we take advantage of all these advances within our healthcare system to improve our quality of life without diminishing our quality of life. I guess that's the that's the other part of it. So we want to take advantage of these medical advances, but yet we don't want to interrupt a natural death. When I think of a natural death, I think of it as on our terms, in the setting where we want, without the healthcare system making it worse. And that's the tough one. That's the tough one. We don't want to say no to the cure, but we're never sure if we said yes too many times. There are so many fears tied into all of it. And when you have a parent, if you haven't had the conversation with your parent or whoever, the person, in my case, or whoever you, it is that you're taking care of, you don't know which way to go. And if you have that conversation and you have an advanced directive in place, you at least have a sort of a, you know, you have a pre-made decision that you, it's one thing that you don't have to think about. You can work toward what that person wants for themselves. And, you know, sometimes if the conversation hasn't been held to create a space where you can sort of pause in the middle of all of these treatments and incidents to stop and look and say, is this the direction that we should be going in and not being afraid of it? Yeah, and it's a conversation that's ongoing. It's not one and done yes. because quality of life defi- defi- definitions change, what's available within our healthcare system changes, 
our resources change. Everything can change. So it's important to touch base because what was true for you a year ago might not be true for you today. Okay. Yes. I think we're going to close. Anybody want to add anything before we close today's podcast? I guess that's okay. enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Colleen Cavanaugh, Carolyn Grant, thank you both so much for being with me today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we always love to know. Take care. Bye-bye.